You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper. This is episode 57 of the Am Writing Fantasy podcast. And today, Autumn is not here, so I'm joined by an awesome guest, and that is Sasha Black. So Sasha is a fantasy author, she's an editor, and the host of the Rebel Author podcast. So Sasha has uh, written several guides on and workbooks on how to write compelling heroes and villains, so we're going to learn from her. Great insight on this topic here today, but uh, first, welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it was very nice to very nice to talk to you. And as I just said there, I know that you're also the host of the Rebel Author Podcast. But what, what's that podcast about? I am. So the Rebel Author Podcast is a motivational show for creatives who like to break the rules or rebel against, you know, um, uh, conventions or just people who have the dry, sarcastic wit who like, you know, the occasional naughty word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is um, essentially about writing, publishing, marketing, um, or yeah, you know, all of those uh, industry type topics. And I tend to do interviews as well. Occasionally, I do a solo show. But yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so it's all. Is it specifically focused on just any creative outlet? Like, like I mean, any genre for writers, or are you are you focused on? like certain elements within it or no so it is for um any writer of any genre so i write right. um obviously as you've said i write non-fiction and young adult fantasy kind of moving into adult fantasy soon so i try to keep the topics wide so you know about the craft as a whole rather than something very niche to I don't know, historical fiction. Um, and right. also occasionally, or I will be having anyway, topics that, uh, interviews that are more general to creative. So it might be, you know, about a mindset or um, business, which could be any creative business. So yeah, I, I do try to keep it quite broad for all creatives. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because we sort of went the other way by right. I mean, of course, we the topics that we are uh, handling or talking about on this uh, podcast, some of it is generic, like marketing and and publishing and stuff like that. But at least from the writing perspective, we we sort of niched down and 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 focused on fantasy writing. So I, I- so it's quite nice to hear that you also write fantasy. Yeah, well, I, I actually think it's really important to be niche because I think you serve your audience much better when you do that. Um, and I suppose the thing that's overarching on my podcast, rather than it being necessarily the niche topic, it's more the niche ethos and theme. So I always ask all of my right. guests um, to tell us about a time that they've been a rebel. Um, you know, and every oh. yeah, so and every week I um will you know read out a listener who's a rebel, you know, and a little story that they sent in, and oh, cool. you know I I am sarcastic and witty. Well, witty that's for listeners to decide, but I hope I'm funny anyway. Um, and you know, but I will 
intersperse some you know, naughty made up swear words or whatever. So yeah, it's kind of the feeling of the podcast that um, is niche. I will not appeal to everybody because I have a potty mouth. I'm opinionated. Um, yeah, but I'm okay with that because I think that helps you find your audience essentially. No, I, yeah, I, I fully agree. I think it, it's it's better to to be a bit, um, uh, let's say, unique, <laughs> and, and then some people will like it, and people or some people won't, and that that's absolutely fine. Uh, I think that that's better than trying to appeal to everyone. Definitely, that's how you find your tribe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, how how did you get into writing fantasy? Did did you always know that you wanted to write fantasy? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, I. <sighs> I don't think I, so I am like the least self-aware person ever. So <laughs> I didn't really know that I wanted to write until I was in my mid twenties. I think if I had been more self-aware, I would have realized because all the signs were there. You know, I was that kid who'd prefer to read in the library at lunch rather than go and play right. with other people, you know, things like this. But um, in terms of fantasy specifically, I, as a teenager, I read a lot of fantasy. I also interestingly read a lot of crime um, and a lot of romance. So I don't think I necessarily knew that that's what I wanted to write until I really got into writing. And I... And a lot of my um, fears around writing came from not knowing, you know, if I was going to make some kind of accuracy error. So if you... Write fantasy, you can make a lot of it up. So I yeah. ended up, you know, um, ended up uh, creating a fantasy world, and it's actually just the first character that came to me. So my first book has been with me since I was like nine years old. Um, I always, oh, yeah, right. I always knew this character. So I'm not going to stick with fantasy forever. Um, I definitely have a, a contemporary young adult book that I'm about to work on this year that has, I guess, hints of magical realism in it, but it is predominantly set in the real world. So no, I don't, I, I, I read a lot of fantasy now, but I also read a lot of contemporary. I read a lot of nonfiction. So I don't, no, I, I just like it. So there is no rhyme or hmm. reason behind it, particularly. No, uh, now that you called it self-aware, then I didn't know that I was that unself-aware, <laughs> but apparently I am because it wasn't until I was like, uh, what, like 38 or something that I figured out that I wanted to write. So, <laughs> so apparently I'm less self-aware than, than you are. Well, you know, lots of us are told when we grow up to get a proper job. And, you know, uh, I thought a proper job meant going to university and being on one of these really super dull uh, management fast tracks graduate um things right. you know so yeah. it yeah it took yeah. me a while to realize uh that i really hated the corporate world <laughs> right but one thing i did find out by uh, you know snoozing around on the internet was that you quite like conspiracy theories so i thought that was quite fun so I wanted to ask you if you have like a favorite conspiracy theory. Um, oh, that's so that's so hard. So mean of you to ask me that because there's so many. <laughs> um, I do. I do like them because for two reasons. One, um, I derive a lot of inspiration from them. You know, they are quite dystopian when you look at them. Um, and I love dystopian stories. I definitely will be writing a dystopian series at some point. Um, but you mm. can also take elements of fantasy from them. So, you know, like Flat Earth, for example, is 
is a great, um, great example of a conspiracy that's wildly popular at the moment. And there are so many elements to that, you know, things like giants and whether the gods were actually aliens. You know, the all of these things actually play really well into fiction, um, particularly science fiction and fantasy. So that is mm. why I love them. And so, um, I, I, you know, uh, Hollow Earth is another one, Hollow Moon, um, the, yeah, the firmament and having a dome over the earth. There are just millions that I will read about and will um, take elements of uh, to put into my stories. The other reason yeah. I like them uh, relates to villains. Um, and I always think one of the good markers of a villain is when they're crazy or they're, um, you know, they're, uh, what's the word, like whatever they're trying to so like president snow wants the hunger games in the hunger games he wants the reality tv show when they are Mm. so convincing that they can get you to believe in their crazy for just a second i always think that's a really good mark of a villain and i think that some of these conspiracy theories when you look at some of the you know really um ardent supporters and some of their arguments you can for a split second or two actually you know really invest in them and and believe in them and i always think that when when it's that convincing you can learn things from that for your fiction yeah that is funny because that's exactly why i like conspiracy theories yeah. as well because <laughs> there's so much inspiration in some of it it's just like well some of it is like really out there mm-hmm. you know but but it's still that there's a lot of good uh, ideas that you can use for storytelling in there and uh, i quite like the one where they're talking about that you know that the matrix that we're actually living in a matrix-like thing. So the whole thing, uh, the entire world, is just simulation. <laughs> I quite like yeah, that. Yeah, but there are. Do you know there are scientific books on the universe as a hologram? Um, that you know there are like genuinely traditionally published books. Um, I had one uh, a few years ago, and I can't remember the exact name, but it was something like the universe is a hologram. Anyway, yeah, fascinating. And and that is also what I love that some of these things really do venture into the science of it. And that's when it becomes extremely hard to ignore. And, you know, you do find yourself questioning, well, have I been lied to? What is the government really? You know, all of these things. But yeah, yeah. I think that having an open mind um, and investigating these things, be it conspiracy theories or science or, you know, some detailed um, avenue as a writer is really important because we do filter all of the things that we put into our brain back out into our fiction. And I just think it gives us more depth to our stories. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and now I can't remember what, which one it was, which of course then makes it a bad example to bring up. But But I did listen to a podcast like a couple of months ago where they were talking about uh, numbers and how if you add this to this all the and, and there was something about the moon as well the actual size of the moon and and something like that and everything just keeps adding up to the same numbers or mm. something it was insane mm. listening to but uh, but anyway that's that's a rabbit hole that we can get down another into another day but uh, we wanted to talk a bit about compelling heroes and villains today so I don't know, maybe maybe I could just start out by asking you what it is that you think makes for a compelling hero and, and villain. So overall, maybe it's for a start. Yeah, so um I so a villain. Interestingly, a lot of the same things cross over and uh between what makes a good hero and what makes a good villain. But what often happens is that writers Uh, focus all their attention on their hero because obviously the hero is 
the person who the story is being told via, and therefore they have the most page time. But the mistake that you're making there is that all stories are about change, be it the emotional arc that a hero goes on, the emotional change, the obstacles that a hero must defeat in order to uh, win or, you know, get to the end of the, the book. And what drives change is conflict. Because all of us, creatures of habit, will will not change unless we're forced to. So, no. yeah, and, and that is how you get um, the change is through conflict. And what's what drives the conflict in novel? That's your villain. So I always say that a villain is actually more important than the hero because they are at the source of um, changing the hero, which is what the story is about, essentially. So the first thing... I always think that's important is to get that straight um, in your head and to value your villain as much as you value your hero. Um, In terms of what makes a good villain, I think there's uh, probably four or five-ish things. So the first one is values. It's really, really important, just like your hero will have values, they might, you know, value strength or loyalty or um, doing good or whatever. It's also important that your villain has a value. And you can enact those in a couple of different ways. So you could have a positive value, like loyalty, that your villain enacts in a bad way. So for example, Uh, Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter is an excellent example of this. Anybody who portrays his loyalty, they're going to die. So, you know, (laughs) that is an example of enacting a positive trait in a bad way. And then, of course, you could have a negative value like revenge, for example. Um, And just moving on from that, another really important factor in your villains is to have a positive trait. So, for example... Mm, If you have a villain who is just a homicidal maniac who just wants to end the world, um, it's not very believable because apart from people who, you know, might have genuine, um, might, well, anyway, having a complete psychopath as a villain in a crime book might be realistic, but that's usually because they're not really on the page very much. Excuse me. They tend to uh, appear at the end or if, you know, some obviously might, uh, have a dual point of view, but for the most part, they're not on the page. I'm going to get back to the point. So having a positive trait creates a second layer of depth to the character. Most of us um, aren't inherently evil, and that goes for villains as well. They might have a warped sense of um, justice or a warped sense of equality or a warped sense of, you know, what right and wrong is, but they don't believe they are bad. They believe they are doing the right thing. It's just that society or your hero doesn't. So having a positive trait is really important to make them believable. It gives them a sense of humanity. And you can enact that in a million different ways, be it showing um, kindness to somebody, or even if it's a henchman, having a pet is quite often one that happens. Um, It could also be that, that you turn one of their negative traits into a positive temporarily. So that is a trick that I quite like to use. Um, another last, I'll try and whip through these. I appreciate I'm going on, but, um, so another one, 
No, no, that's fine. <laughs> so another one would be to have a really solid motive and a reason why. So this is often lacking, I find, in manuscripts that I um, do developmental edits on. P- they don't think through the why a villain is doing something. People, like when we look at our psychology, we all do things for a reason. Our childhood, our teenage years, you know, our most um, influential years shape our brain chemistry, like quite literally shapes our brain chemistry. And if you've had a wound in your past, often we talk about heroes and wounds and the thing that gives them their flaw. Well, your villain also has a wound in their past. And whilst you don't necessarily need to put it on the page uh, because your villain isn't your protagonist, you do need to think about that because it will drive their behaviour. You know, let's say they... um, lost family in a boating accident. I'm just talking about this on the hoof now, but perhaps they then have, that would give them a wound and they might then want to seek revenge um, on, on, on the boating company. But a hero might choose instead to enact that wound in a positive way. So they might start up a charity mm. for people of drowning victims or whatever. You know, so it's, mm. it's looking at how you can um, incorporate that wound and give your villain a reason for why he's behaving and in that particular way and, um, you know, doing the bad things that he's doing. Last two, make them unbeatable. Um, Too often we give our heroes an easy ride and we don't um, make things difficult enough. So one way to stop that is to make a really unbeatable villain for like 85% of your novel. Make them an expert in something. Make them better than the hero at something Um, because the harder it is for your hero to win, the more invested your uh, readers will be. And last but by no means least, uh, give them a really strong sense of integrity, which is actually a really positive trait to have. But I will tell you the reason why it's so important for a villain. When you have integrity, you do what you say what you say you're going to do, even if it means doing something bad. And that makes um, a villain, particularly when they do do bad things because they said they're going to do them, it makes them frightening. You know, um, if they're like, you know, I'm going to, if you don't do X, I will kidnap your child. And then they kidnap the child. That is terrifying and also makes them very yeah. believable. So, yeah, those would be my top things. Yeah. No, but but I think that there are some really, really, really good points in there, and uh, <clears throat> especially about the, the reason for being evil, because that's also something I always keep saying. Uh, Autumn and I are actually writing a, a book about uh, creating he- characters and also plotting mm-hmm. at the moment. And in the character section part of it, we are also saying in there that everybody is a hero of their Absolutely. own story, right? So. So the, the the villain will also believe that what he's doing is for the greater good. Uh, so so I fully agree with what you're saying that you need a good reason for for them be doing what they're doing. And, and uh, unfortunately, I've also seen like in mainstream, uh, what is he called, Bane, or what is he called? You know, the adversary in one of the superhero mm. things where it was something to do with a doll or some stupid stuff like that. You know, when when it almost felt like they were making up a reason just to have one. And, and for him being evil, right? And that, that doesn't no, work. No, absolutely. Uh, I completely agree. Yeah. I, I think uh, maybe too many writers are also too concerned about the villain becoming, let's say, too likable 
uh, and therefore they make him like like just just like super evil without any reason for being evil. But I would almost go the other way and say the more likable or at least understandable you can make the the villain, the better the villain he will oh, be. Oh, absolutely! And you only have to look at the rise in popularity of antiheroes to see how true that is. Um, you know, yeah. villains. <clears throat> excuse me, villains often like none of us would want to admit this but sometimes they do the they do the hard thing um they do the controversial thing and sometimes we might there might be parts of us that agree with them and that's particularly what anti-heroes do they do the naughty things that we all wish we could do but we can't because you know stabbing your boss in the eye with a fork is technically illegal (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, but that's absolutely true Uh, but but also you know sometimes the villains are just i don't know uh, Maybe it's just me, but uh, in in Star Wars, for example, I I like Vader the mm. most. You know, he's just so cool. Uh, but of course, he's not the good guy. <laughs> but uh, but it is so. Sometimes it's just the um, the villains who are who are really really strong characters, and and I think it's important to have strong villains Absolutely. because without it, as you say as well, then you have no real conflict and no driver behind and, and then the story will suffer exactly exactly i think the mark of a good story well there are many marks of good stories but one of my most favored marks of a good story is a villain who will suck me in um and you know they'll yeah. make me like him and then just as i'm about to tip over into oh i love this character they'll go and do something so unbelievably terribly horrible that I'm like oh you know you kill me because now I just can't like the the villain or whatever you know it's that roller coaster of emotions yeah. that uh, I think comes from a good villain yeah absolutely but do you think it's also important to show change in the villain or, or do you just go with like well the villain is the same throughout no or no so you know there are lots of different types of villain arcs as well. I think what really interesting villains go on their own um, their their own journey. So you can have a character um, who starts out nice. For example, that this often happens in like high school um, uh, uh, stories. You'll have two friends, and one will become um, you know uh, I was going to say a naughty word there, but one will become. A bitch, essentially, <laughs> because she gets jealous, yeah. but she starts out nice, and then she declines on her own journey into becoming the antagonist. I mean, to be honest, in that kind of story, it's more of an antagonist than a than a villain. But they will descend, right. um, and it's only as they descend that. The, um, if you look at a graph, they are descending downwards. The hero starts to um, rise upwards. And it's at that point of crossing that the the hero overcomes their flaw in order to def- defeat the villain. And the villain falls into that point of insanity where there's no, no return for them. Um, but you mm. also have mm. other types of villains. So a redemption arc is... Oh, I just love a redemption arc. So a typical villain, obviously, as I've said, will go downwards. They'll start, you know maybe bad but they'll decline rapidly into the dark pits of you know i'm a push the red button of nuclear explosion um but a a redemption arc is when they might start bad but actually they end up doing the right thing or they they redeem themselves for whatever it is they've done a good example of that excuse me in relatively recent tv um series was once upon a time 
I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the evil queen in uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So uh, she's called Regina in this TV show. She has a fantastic redemption arc over the seven series. So um, I would highly recommend that TV series if you want to see a recent example of a redemption arc that I loved. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it is important to to think about the villain as a character rather than just a mechanism to to throw some stuff in the face of the hero all the time, right? Because there needs to be some depth to to the to the villain as well. Of course, I, I do think sometimes when we're dealing with fantasy, if your if your villain is like a Uh, the dark lord or something you know <laughs> like uh, like in uh, lord of the rings or whatever right Th- then it, it can be a bit difficult to try to to think about how do i show a real change in sauron mm. or something right i mean but 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 even i mean i, I think it applies both ways this about uh, as before we talked about the not shoehorning in a reason for the villain to be evil but at the same time i think it, it applies the other way around as well sometimes don't shoehorn in a change because you think that's a good idea it it all depends on the story Absolutely. and <laughs> we all know i'm a rebel so you can you can break any writing rule that you want as long as you're creating believable characters and you have readers that like your stories um you know but i i One of the things that I think is important, um, although, again, lots of writers will break this and still create good stories, but allowing your villain... So your hero represents the theme in your book, okay? So your villain should resent... I'll put my teeth back in. Should represent um, (laughs) the anti-theme. So a good example of this, again, I will go back to uh, The Hunger Games. Hopefully everybody has seen or read uh, The Hunger Games, but... Katniss represents sacrifice. Even on the, in the first chapter, she um, her sister gets called to go into this really dangerous, life threatening TV reality show, and she sacrifices herself in order to protect her sister. Everything she does in the novel is about sacrifice uh, and sacrificing herself for the greater good of others and in order to get what you want. But President Snow sacrifices other people for his benefit so he is a direct um reversal of the of the book's theme and he will um yes okay one of his values is he'll only kill people for a purpose but you can be damn sure that he will kill somebody if he if it's going to benefit him um so yeah i i really think that's another important um aspect to make sure you you look at in preparing your villain and hero yes Yeah, exactly. So, so, so speaking of that, uh, of what, what you just said there, uh, how, how much and how and how much detail do you advise to to go into character planning before you start writing? How, how much of this do you set up in advance, and how much do you sort of figure out along the way? Um, I think that um, I think that is individual to each writer. Um, I I love I love talking about process and. Um, talking to other writers about you know what they do, um, are they a planner, a, a pantser, or writing into the dark, etc. Um, but I don't think there is one right answer. At the end of the day, if you are finishing books, then the process works for you. If you're not finishing books, then try something else and experiment. Um, some people like to let their characters um, play out on the page and then they're happy to do revisions. That's fine. Some people like to go into a lot of depth planning um, before they start. I think um, 
even if you don't write it down and you don't plan it, knowing your villain's um, flaw and positive trait and their wound in the past is helpful before you start because it can help you shape uh, your scenes and the conversations and it will enable you to know both what your hero needs to be bad and good at and how eventually they'll defeat them. But ultimately, I, you know, I hate dictating to people how they should and shouldn't do their planning um, because I just think there are as many different processes as there are writers out there and you have to find an experiment to see what works for you. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And, and I think also that there is pros and cons to all of it. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the more that you can plan out in advance, the more time you're going to save in editing. But if you feel like planning out in advance is, is killing your creativity, then maybe it's better to just spend more time editing. Mm. So it's to his own. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, don't be afraid to change your mind. So like, I always sometimes forget that I have permission to change my mind and things. So if anybody's listening, you have permission to experiment. Um, but yeah, so I have written books that are heavily planned and also not planned at all. And sometimes different books and different projects require different methods. So that's okay if you need to change up your method. You have permission. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but uh, in terms of he- heroes versus villains here, are, are there like any fundamental things that you think is really important for writers to be aware of in terms of differences between the two? Uh, we we spent quite uh, quite some time here at the moment talking about villains and how to make them great. Uh, you did also touch upon upon the heroes a bit in the beginning, but is there any like fundamental things that are really important, or do you think the same sort of characteristics applies? Kind to both? of, but in opposite ways. So. When we talked about a villain, we said that um, they need a positive trait uh, in amongst their negative ones. But for a hero, they need a negative trait in amongst their positive ones. So nobody likes the perfect person. You know, nobody really likes the geek at school who always has their hand up and always get things right. You know, it's annoying. (laughs) It makes us feel bad, you know. (laughs) We feel stupid. (laughs) Screw you, clever person. Um, um, Yeah, nobody likes a perfect hero because actually it's boring there's no trials and tribulations and it's unrelatable one of the things that we um, readers love the most is to be able to relate to the hero and in particular their emotional journey because that really is at at the heart of stories is, is the emotion and um we're not perfect as humans and therefore your hero should not be perfect they should make mistakes they should say the wrong thing they should upset people Ultimately, though, they obviously need to be overwhelmingly good um, in order to to be the hero, or or not. If you have an anti-hero, um, obviously they are, you know, a good 50-50 balance of of good and evil. Um, the other thing that I think is really important to concentrate with um the hero is something that I talk about in my book, 10 Steps to Hero, How to Craft a Kick-Ass Protagonist. Um and that's the hero lens. So often, well, and it will depend slightly on the point of view that you're writing in. But broadly speaking, even if you're in an omniscient, um, you know, looking over the heads of all of the characters type and uh, point of view, your story will be told through the eyes of either a character, your protagonist or another character, or through a series of different characters. And the important thing to remember is that that is all your reader has, okay? So you, your, for example, 
I might see turquoise as more greeny blue than bluey green. But other people might see it more as bluey green. So each of us has this unique way of looking at the world. And the hero lens is essentially a funnel through which your reader sees the story. And it is through the eyes of your hero. And the way that you can craft that lens is through actions, uh, thoughts and feelings and dialogue. Now, if you're an example, so to put this into um, practice as and as an example, if you have a really stuffy, formal, pompous, sort of academic as a character, you need to think how that personality would be reflected across dialogue, across thoughts, feelings, and action. Because the way that that academic would behave is very different to a gang member, for example. So instead of using and you could get really granular with this, but this is how you create really good characterization and how you create the um, sensation of you know individuality and uniqueness for your hero that your um, reader will fall in love with. So let's go nitty gritty and talk, look at sort of a sentence level thing. A academic might say, instead of saying, I've thought over your offer, they could say, I've been contemplating your offer. So instead of using a basic word like think or thinking, they might say contemplating or pondering. Um, And they might say, I've come to the conclusion that it must be a no, rather than saying, Mm. I've been thinking about your offer and it's a no. You know, you have to Mm. look at how you can take those personality traits and filter them down through thoughts, through dialogue. I mean, that was a dialogue example. But even in the description, you know, somebody who is a angry character will use shorter, sharper sentences and shorter words, often things like onomatopoeia. So they might talk about the banging footsteps of a soldier, for example, whereas somebody who is much more... um, thoughtful might use uh, my brain's gone completely blank now but you you see where i'm going with this yeah yeah absolutely and and i think also what what a character notices is also different depending on personality so one type of person will notice something else in a room that than another type of personality will absolutely. right i mean some personalities will enter a room and the first thing they'll look for okay that this is me so i <laughs> when i enter a room i'll look for okay so where's the <laughs> toilets where, where are the exits? So I need to know where everything is, right? Uh, but somebody else might enter a room and think, oh, those look like interesting people over there. I'm, I better go over there and talk to them, right? Uh, and that's not me. <laughs> so, Definitely. And it's in those details so. that, that characterization comes from. Um, and, you know, the reflection on how those things make them feel. So uh, I think in the book, there's an example about um, two different characters, a more depressed character and an angry character looking at a parade. And the difference is, um, it's the same event, but they're looking at it through very different eyes. And so they are noticing different details. And yeah, so it's one of my most favorite things to do in, in when I'm writing is to think about the details that one character will see over another. Yeah, absolutely. One one thing I was thinking about while you were saying that, and and I don't know what what your thoughts about this is, but the sentence level for me that that sounds like something that you should probably spend most of your time on, uh, let's say correcting or updating when you're doing your editing. Because I think if you get bogged down in all of that during your first draft, yeah, you you might spend quite a lot of time thinking about the right words that this character will use. And, and at the end of the day, you're going to edit some of it out anyway or whatnot. So I, I don't know what you think about think, that. Do you, 
Do you go about it right away or do you sort of save some of that those details for the editing stage? I think it depends. Like I said earlier, some people will write an extremely clean first draft and that's that's because they cycle through. So they might read it they might write a chapter, read a chapter you know, read an editor chapter, write the next chapter, read it. At the end of the day, if you are finishing books, it doesn't matter how you're doing it. Um, I tend to use a mixture. I'm a bit of a burst writer, so I will, but I'm changing that. I am trying to write consistently instead of, you know, writing 20K in a week and then not writing for a week. Um, But um, for me personally, I do a bit of a mixture. Sometimes I will take forever to, you know, Uh, write a single sentence and then other times I will just vomit an entire scene out and I'll revise it later and I think it just depends on you know how I'm feeling and what the moment uh, calls for but I definitely um, I I wouldn't say I write flowery but I definitely love description and I love um, obsessing about the sentence level stuff so I probably spend a reasonable amount of time um, doing that in revisions or or if I'm doing it at the, at the time. But it, it depends on the project. It depends um, on the characters. Some characters are so fully formed when they appear on the page that you don't need to revise them because their voice is so crystal clear. Um, other characters mm. take longer to, um, to, to develop. So, for example, one of my characters in my um, uh, young adult fantasy novel um, – was has been there since book one I'm now on book three but um they were much blander I think in book one and by book three they're now this like total diva um and snarky genius diva and um so they've really come into their own and and perhaps I could have done more planning beforehand to ensure that this character was the same from the start but I I like it because they feel like this character has come into their own so yeah are you finishing books that's the that's the, the real important question. If you're finishing books, it doesn't matter how you get there. Yeah, absolutely. That that's so true. Um, but I was also th- thinking to ask you, um, maybe maybe sort of as as a rounding off. I don't know, but uh, but because we have so many streaming services nowadays, you have so many movies that is easily available to everybody. What what do you think about taking inspiration from? characters in in it could also be in other books but but maybe from movies or, or tv shows or whatever and, and using that as inspiration for your own characters do you think that's a good idea or it doesn't it matter or what um, yeah think? absolutely i get get any inspiration you can from anywhere be it you know going and visiting museums you know climbing into abandoned buildings not that i've done that <clears throat> <laughs> you know any any which way um you can and i think it's i think we'd be naive to say that the th- stories that we w- read or the tv shows that we watch don't influence us i don't think we can avoid that you know arguably you mm. could say that every romance story that has ever been written is a rip off of romeo and juliet um as long as you're not doing a carbon copy um of a character which frankly i don't believe that you could because each writer's, That's probably not exactly, even each writer's no. voice is different but if you are taking elements um of a story um or elements of a world building or elements of whatever then you know so what every vampire story ever all has vampires in it does that mean every race of vampires is the same does that mean they all become a vampire in the same way no you know uh, yeah I don't think there are unique stories really I think you know with eight million books or whatever it is on Amazon I think it's very hard to have something that is 
is truly original. So yeah, don't be afraid. Just just don't write carbon copies of because obviously then that is plagiarism and illegal. <laughs> Yeah, but, but yeah, uh, I mean, I fully agree. I mean, unless you're actually sitting there and copying exactly the same thing, then uh, I fully agree that it's not possible to to copy. Not even a story. I mean, sometimes I come come across uh, writers who who email me, or some of them has. I've also received some tweets once in a while where people are asking that you know, what about when I share my story ideas, then people would steal it. And I always keep saying the same thing, like nobody can steal your idea. I mean, it doesn't matter that you're telling people. If, if Tolkien told somebody, this is what I'm, I'm thinking about, I want to write for Lord of the Rings, and you sat down and wrote the Lord of the Rings while he was doing it in parallel, the two stories would be completely different, even though you started out from the same idea. Absolutely. And the other thing is like, and I'm... <laughs> I mean this with no disrespect to any creative, but nobody else cares. You know, we all, as creatives, we all have our own ideas that we are deeply passionate about and they are ours. And yes, there might be similarities in other stories, but nobody wants to write somebody else's story. They want to write their own story. So it is usually highly unlikely that somebody will um, steal you know, your idea or whatever. Yes, they might take elements or, or parts of your story, but nobody can write like you. Nobody has your voice because nobody grew up under the same circumstances. Nobody has the same lens. See what I did there? Hero lens. <laughs> you have. And therefore, they cannot possibly write the same story as you. No, absolutely true. That's it's a ton of good advice here, Sasha. Is is there anything that you have not mentioned that you feel is important for the listener to know um, as well? Just keep writing and keep practicing. And one thing that I really like to do is write flash flash fiction. Um, I think it's a really good. Uh, so flash fiction, for anybody that doesn't know, is a very very micro short story. Could be anything from you know two lines of dialogue up to sort of thousand word. Um, character sketches. Um, but if you're ever unsure about how a character would act or behave, I always like to put them in strange situations or, you know, give them an emotion to feel or to react to and just write a very short piece. And I think um, that helps and stops people from making mistakes in their manuscripts. And um, it is also that's then free material that you can then give to your readers or whatever. So yeah, just just experiment. Mm, cool. So where can people find more uh, more about you and what you do, Sasha, if they want to check okay, stuff out? Okay, super. So um, my name is uh, obviously Sasha Black, but it's Sasha with a C. So S-A-C-H-A. Um, and my website is sashablack.co.uk. You can find um, out more about my books. I have a blog there. Um, you can find out more about my podcast there. The podcast is on all podcasting app catchery jobbies, and it's called the Rebel Author Podcast. Um, if you would like to view my books, I'm on I'm wide, so I am anywhere that you can you can buy a book. You can buy my books. Um, and last but by no means least, I am on you know Twitter and Facebook and all of those things. Um, but I'm most frequently on Instagram, which is at Sasha Black Author. And one last thing, um, I do have a Facebook group where we do weekly accountability posts. We do flash fiction writing Wednesday challenges, and it's just generally a really nice support group. And that is called 13 Steps to Eagle. <laughs> Doesn't sound nice, does it? But it is, I promise. It's a supportive <laughs> group. 
That's excellent. And uh, I, if you send me some links, Sasha, then I'll add it to the show notes so people can find it straight through there as well. Do. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Sasha. Thank you Sasha. so much for having me. So next Monday, Autumn will be back and we're going to dive deep into the topic of how to find other authors to collaborate with. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.